What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 43 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? Couldn't be better, my friend. I'm so glad to be back here again. What a coincidence, Sam, that our last episode that we did was celebrating the greatness of ACDC's Back in Black, which landed number 10 in our greatest metal album of all time list. And literally, what, three, four days ago was 40-year anniversary of Back in Black. What are the odds of that? I know, it's really, really well-timed, actually. And um, I don't know if you've noticed that there's another birthday that's snuck up as well that's... uh... Yeah, it's right I, time for us moving forward. I, I noticed that today, and I thought, Sam, Sam's done this on purpose. This is the most interesting, <laughs> f- f- greatest piece of foresight I've ever known from a human being ever. Oh, I foresaw the pandemic <laughs> and and the podcast schedule and the, and the whole list and everything. Man, it was like Nosferatu. Boris Johnson might not have been at the Cobra meetings, but you were, and that's how you knew this. <laughs> Absolutely agreed. We are a weekly at the moment, Rock and Metal Podcast, again, sponsored by the beautiful folks at Stereo Brain Records. We're available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. On our last week's episode, as I mentioned, it was a special dedication episode to our number 10 entry in the greatest metal album of all time, this with ACDC's Opus Back in Black. But we also did a review of All Distortions of Intentional by Neck Deep. I'm very, very interested to see how that charts. I know that charting doesn't really mean anywhere near as much as it did 10 years ago as we recently discussed with Barry tomorrow but I am very cute because they did so well on uh, the Peace and the Panic the last album in terms of charting in the US and UK very curious to see how that one lands uh, this week's episode we're going to run through some news we're going to have our first ever breaking band segment I'll give you a bit more details on that once we get to it and album reviews come from Year of the Knife's Internal Incarceration and Black Crown Initiates Violent Portraits of Doomed Escape Sam, just rolling straight into the news here. Now, I meant, you know, we stopped doing news because we were, were, he said, replacing it with talking about the numbers 20 to 10 or 20 to 11, should I say, on the Greatest Metal Album of All Time list. Um, And now, obviously, now we're doing Greatest Metal Album of All Time list every other week. I've brought news back. But one of the other reasons why we stopped doing news is because there wasn't really a lot going on because of the current situation. (laughs) And there's still not... Yeah, there's still not really a lot going on because of the current situation. However, did just find two little tad bits that I thought might be interesting to get your opinion on. Uh, I'm going to read oh, no. you. A, I'm going to read you a tweet, Sam. Okay. Um, from Rolling Stone. Bear with me one second while I uh, bring it back up. I'm excited. Reading a tweet. It's like the news. Uh, um, I'd put your excitement on hold, Max, when I read this tweet to you. I think <laughs> you, might, you might be less less than excited. Right, here we go. Yeah. Okay. Right, here it is. Sorry, <laughs> my laptop was t- literally, my laptop's usually so quick it took ages to load there. Anyway. Don't you worry at all. This is from uh, Rolling Stone, Sam. Not the Rolling okay. Stones, I mean Rolling Stone, the magazine. No, 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 absolutely. To celebrate their 10th anniversary... Some of One Direction's most frequent collaborators recount the group's incredible story and how they crafted the sound that made them one of the great rock and roll bands of the 21st century. <laughs> right. Oh. Right. Now, Twitter exploded at this. Uh, lots of, I mean, I, I tweets that you would expect, like, call them a rock and roll band, what the fuck is this? I mean, you're on about, and then, you know, you get the, the One Direction quote unquote stands. As they call the self, it was saying, uh, yes. uh, you know, they are a band, you know, each member can play an instrument. Um, it's not know. the definition of rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, you haven't listened to every single song in their discography because why would you? You know, <laughs> all, all this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I forgot that Deathcore um, EP that did in 2017. This is a prog metal album uh, somewhere along the lines. Now, the reason why I wanted to gauge your opinion on this. Yeah. I mean, first of all, do you uh-huh. care? Do, do you care? Do, does, that, um, does, that, does that statement bother you at all? It, it, it stings a little bit because it, it, it just reminds me that we have gone so far away from what rock and roll has been in the modern world. 
that we've actually forgotten what it is. That's what it stings about me. It's, it's just a reminder that rock music is so far away from the average person's zeitgeist and awareness of culture that we're now attributing it to bands that just don't fit that moniker because there's nothing else. Do you know what I mean? That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, that that's what it tells me is that One Direction are being misrepresented here, but it tells you more about the void of good rock bands. But Rolling Stone, come on. This is Rolling Stone. Like it's one of the great American rock music magazines. Um, so what their game here is, whether we're looking for like a media storm to help promote their website or something like that, then fine. But it just, it just, it's, I don't care massively, but it does, it does still twinge a little bit. You know, it's, it just, it just, it just stings a little bit. It's just a a little bit mildly irritating. Like if some, if someone said about somebody you really liked as a kid, whether it was like a footballer or a musician, that if they said, oh, actually think they were really overrated, it would still be like, oh, well, actually, you know, that hurts my feelings a little bit. You know, that's that sort of thing. I'm not overly bothered, but it does, it, it does, yeah, it does bother me a touch. See, I, I find this interesting because Rolling Stone, as you mentioned, one of the absolute marquee American, actually just like worldwide music magazines. Yeah, yeah. Now, you would think, is this an example of just showing how how far out of the loop Rolling Stone have become with modern rock music? However, and now, I wouldn't want anyone to quote me on this because I can't remember whether it was Rolling Stone or another really big pub- American publication that I saw this. I feel like, I'm like 75% certain that it was Rolling Stone that I saw. They'd give their album of the year so far to like Code Orange. uh, I'm fairly certain it was Rolling Stone. If it wasn't Rolling Stone, it was another massive music publication. They'd give their album of the year thus far to Code Orange um, underneath. So it's not, if if it was in fact Rolling Stone, which I'm fairly certain it was, but I can't be 100% certain then obviously they have got their ear to the to the ground in some sense because how else would they code orange you know it's not like led zeppelin releasing an album and of course rolling stone would know if led zeppelin released an album but it's like it's code orange who are big who are big to me and you but in the grand scheme of rock music code orange mm. are not are not big at all when you think about the kind of artist that Rolling Stone would usually put at the forefront of their discussion. So it's not like they're massively outside of the loop. They have got a clue what's going on. But so it does feel strange to me for them to use this verbiage. However, do you think this is just an example of a larger factor, which has been that rock press in general have been trying to convince us or trying to put artists that aren't rock artists at the forefront for about five or six years now. Like think- there are some there are some publications that were trying to convince us that Twenty One Pilots and Against the Current are rock bands. Fuck off! No, they're not. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I I agree with that in principle, definitely. Um, with a lot of um, modern bands that have come through that would be pop bands 10 years ago are now being hailed as, as, as rock bands. But also, also it's probably worth pointing out the people that decide the album of the year for Rolling Stone are probably not the people that are decided on the social media. Well, accounts. yeah, well, yeah. You know what I mean? And it's probably a 25-year-old intern who's writing tweets for Rolling Stone who probably does, sadly, consider One Direction a rock and roll band because... That's probably the extent of their experience. And the grizzled veterans are actually writing in the offices are actually listening to rock music and metal music. But I think there is a larger issue that Rolling Stone are representative of, especially in American culture, I think. Further away from British, because we, we tend to be a bit more hard-nosed towards it in Britain. Um, but any, any band, any modern um, cultural icon has been called a rock star at some point. Yeah. And like, you know, like people call Lady Gaga a rock star or Beyonce. And it's like, well, you, you know, you don't, you can just take that first part of the word out really. You know, you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to attribute them to a completely different genre. And I think that's led to the idea that rock and roll has now, has now 
gone gone beyond what it used to mean, where it was literally a description of a band that played a certain type of music. It is now an ad hoc description for any group that is considered famous or interesting or compelling or culturally relevant, where the, the actual rock element of it has been diluted. Um, and there's an element of like cult celebrity and notoriety attached yeah. to that figure. So like, you know, you could call Russell Brand a rock star, despite the fact that he, he, he can't play an instrument or sing as far as I'm aware. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's, yeah. it's actually the, the, the term itself has transcended, but it, it does, it does bother me um, that we're, that the Rolling Stones are celebrating the 10th anniversary re- retrospective of One Direction, a band who had they been popular in 1987, Rolling Stone would have categorically took the piss out of yeah. 15 years. And that, that's, what, that's what's saddening enough for me. Now, I, I've got nothing against One Direction, obviously. Um, they're just not, they're not in my world at all. Um, but I, I, I think that there's a, <laughs> there's a perfectly working media storm around them already. I don't yeah. think they need any help from like magazines like this, especially ones that are now trying to put One Direction in the same band now as what Guns and Roses and Rolling Stones and Metallica and stuff. Come on now, it, it just doesn't. One of those is not like the other. It's worth remembering that in 2014, fucking Imagine Dragons won the Grammy for best rock performance. It is, it is, and um, the Grammys have had some egregious things like that. I mean, oh, the, the first, God. the first best, the first best metal performance ever was given to Jethro Tull, wasn't it? Famously, yeah, um, over over Metallica and stuff like that. And and they've they've made these sort of mistakes just over and over and over again. Um, so it's it's no it's no it's no surprise that the that rock music and metal music and what it actually is, and the view of it in in modern mainstream culture is incredibly far away from each other. But what I always disliked, and this applies to most of it, um, just can't we just keep away from each other? Um, I was just no about to ask you this. No one's calling Corey Taylor a pop star, so fuck off with your rock star stuff when people are talking about One Direction. Um, not, right. like, members of Lamb of God aren't wearing One Direction shirts, so please stop putting on an Exodus shirt on like Instagram models and stuff. Like, can we just leave each other alone, except that we don't know anything about each other? Right, okay. So this is this is probably the main crux of the point where I, I wanted to ask you. Do you think, we, with the because it's not 2000 anymore, in 2000, rock and, and specifically new metal was were, were the most popular, were the biggest thing. Um, Limp Bizkit, uh, Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavored Water was like number one all over the world. Linkin Park, obviously Hybrid Theory in two, uh, 2000 as well. Uh, Papa Roach, Massive Within Fest. But rock and, and uh, specifically new metal were the biggest thing in the world. Obviously see, now, 20 years later, we're far from that. And the concept of, of rock and metal seems much more like it's starting to become not an underground uh, format of music because of the size of download and there's still you know there's still a huge audience there for it but on the grand scheme of things do you think it would be better what 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 do you think is more damaging organizations like the like rolling stone getting it completely wrong and misidentifying bands as rock or rolling stone completely ignoring rock altogether and just pretending it doesn't exist and leaving it to the people that do know about it that's an interesting question that's an interesting question. I is, is getting not... it wrong. Is getting it wrong better than ignorance or vice versa? Um, that's a tough one. I actually think it's neither. Um, simply because such um, a politician. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, so simply because um, rock uh, Rolling Star misidentifying One Direction is not going to improve or disprove the sales of any metal band, and Rolling Stone writing about. Um, Rock music in, 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 it has not changed really anything for modern music ever. Um, I mean, the thing is, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give credence to Rolling Stone that they, they, they have accompanied some of this, obviously, misidentification stuff with some genuinely great features on loads of good bands. And they do brilliant work with um, their like yearly lists and their top 100 of all time lists. So, yeah. like, pretty much as close to writing it in stone as, as you can get because the amount of people that they can talk to and, and collate. So that's fine with me. 
Um, the thing is, 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 is metal, metal and rock music will survive regardless of what mainstream culture will call it. And has lived through being misrepresented and mistreated and misspoken about literally since its inception. Um, call that it satanic music didn't kill it in the 70s. Um, call that it dangerous for your children didn't kill it in the 80s. Um, calling it rap music in the late 90s and early 2000s didn't kill it either. And we've just circled the barrel every few years about whatever's new. Um, if, if people want to pat each other on the back and declare themselves as rock bands in the mainstream media world, I don't think that's going to affect anybody at our end because I think just the gap is too big. Um, the one thing I will say in terms of a definitive answer to your original question is I do think it is, um, I do think it is more damaging to misidentify rock music than to ignore it completely. Yeah, I agree. Um, because I think that um, if you ignore it completely, it will still develop its own underground and it has yeah. developed its own, yeah. I mean, own underground world. And also I think rock music and metal music, and, and you can attest to this, I hope, I think rock and metal music has actually thrived because it has faced adversity. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the people that support metal, rock and metal music have a greater bond with each other and the bands because there's a shared unspoken understanding that pretty much if you're into rock and metal music, at some point in your life, you've been bullied for it and you've been harassed for it. You've been insulted for it. And it's difficult to explain your love of this music to an average person. Yeah. And that I think drives people closer together. Um, so if that if you just ignored it, we'd still continue to have these sort of connections. But putting bands like One Direction and even calling them a band feels strange because they're yeah. a pop group. You know, you wouldn't call Take That a band. They're not. They're, they're not in the same group at all. I think misidentifying other bands as rock artists um, negatively affects what we consider rock in the mainstream because that's where we end up getting misidentified awards because they get given to bands that the mainstream consider rock but actually isn't and we don't end up giving deserving rock acts the credence they deserve but that being said the fact that we don't give these rock acts the cred the, the great rock acts that actually are rock acts the credence that they deserve they develop their own sense of cut they develop their own complex their own fan base they work their bollocks off they're taught all the time and the fans love them for it anyway so in the grand scheme of things, I don't think either one of them particularly makes a difference, but I would 100% prefer that Rolling Stone never tweeted about rock and roll music ever again if that's what it thinks rock and roll music is. I completely agree. I, th I think that's pretty much spot on. Um, and interestingly enough, that kind of leads on to uh, the next quick news, thing, news element that I wanted to bring your way. Supposedly... Uh, Marilyn Manson and Corey Taylor are teaming up uh, with rappers for their individual new projects. Uh, Marilyn Manson cool. looks like he'll be doing uh, something with a rapper called ASAP Ferg. Uh, and on Corey I like ASAP Ferg. Oh, I'm not familiar, I've got to say. Uh, and it looks like Corey Taylor, will, obviously he's got a solo record coming out. Supposedly, we've got new music coming from that this week. And one of those songs on that record is supposed set to feature a rapper called Tech Nine and Kid uh, Bucky. You know, whenever you mention the concept of metal slash rock and rap meeting, you obviously think of that Linkin Park and Jay-Z collaboration and that mm -hmm. being that being the absolute peak of what of of rock and metal in terms of its appeal to the mainstream. I think I said this to you before. Can you imagine Drake picking a band to do a collaboration with now? It just it, it wouldn't happen. Maybe yeah. Post Malone would. Maybe Post Malone, because he's got you know, he's got roots in rock and alternative music and he, he I've, I've, I've seen him on social media talk about rock and metal and stuff maybe post malone would do it obviously post malone did feature with ozzy osbourne it's um important to remember but he, I'm, what i mean here is in terms of like a full collaboration with a young and upcoming band not fucking ozzy osbourne who's been around since 1970 so obviously yeah, everyone no, I agree. everyone holds 
that Jay-Z and Linkin Park record as the moniker. Do you think, again, do you think that these movements are still important to rock and metal? Um, I think they can be if they're done in a particular way. I think if they're... The thing about the Jay-Z Linkin Park collaboration is the one, one of the reasons that it works so well is not just the fact that they're both incredible artists in their respective fields. It's the fact that they were both pretty much at the peak of their individual popularity. So Jay-Z had just started doing songs with Beyonce and the Black Album had come out like two years before, which is ostensibly one of the greatest rap albums of all time. Oh, and, I fucking love that album. Right, so he's, he's riding high. Um, we're talking like Dirt Off Your Shoulder and Marrying Beyonce. He's pretty much the personal and professional peak of 99.97% of people who have ever lived on the planet. Yeah. And uh, Linkin Park had just released Meteora which featured the original song, Numb. Uh, we talked about Hybrid Theory Ad Nauseam. It was the perfect meeting. My my query isn't who, can you imagine Drake doing it? It's I can't think of a single rock band who are young enough and in their prime enough who are big enough to justify the selection. Well, yeah, that, that's um, kind of what I meant. Like, you know what I mean? So uh, I think the biggest barrier to it is not, um, he's not actually like, the actual songs themselves, because I, I'm very confident if you put somebody like Travis Scott, who does all the, all the, all the Drake stuff, um, and, or somebody like Jay-Z or Kanye West, maybe before the last few years before he's gone off the rails a little bit, you put some of those in the room with a, a collection of wonderful musicians that we have in metal. I think magic could happen, but the, the reason that, the reason that it transcended in 2003 because it was the perfect marriage between two humongous artists at that period of time. And Metallica are massive, but too old. And there aren't, there isn't, I don't think a, a band maybe bring me the horizon. I was just about to say, just about to say bring me, but they're not, they're not big enough in the America, in America to make this a worldwide phenomenon that Linkin Park had, but they're the closest one, a hundred percent. And, and maybe if you put Bring Me In Stormzy together, it would be huge in the UK. But I'm not convinced it, it transcends in the same way Drake and insert imaginary American huge metal band here would be. I think, um, Blink, I think uh, Bring Me In Post Malone would work. I think that would be really, really interesting. Um, as well, though, as well, it would have to be less of a collaboration. Well, not less of a, what do you mean? Less of a feature and more of an actual collaboration is what I mean to say. So we've had a lot of these sort of things before where rappers have chimed in on a verse on a song that's already pre-written and it just disappears into the midst of an album track or whatever. Um, what was particularly interesting about the Jay-Z Linkin Park thing, it was two already pre-existing songs that were massive um, that were spliced together. Um, which made it instantly recognisable uh, and things like that. Um, it would have to be it would have to be something similar where you could almost guarantee um, that it would just drop and be immediately clung onto by the zeitgeist and things like that. And I, I would be very interested in it. But people, we talk about that Jay Z and Linkin Park thing. Lots of copycats happened after that, and it kind of faded away. But like we had a lot of rap and rock collaborations that were just terrible. And we had a lot of rack, rock, rack, excuse me, rock and rap collaborations following Run DMC and Aerosmith in 1986 that were also relatively poorly done. Um, so it needs to be done perfectly, really. I would love to hear it. I would love to hear whatever the equivalent would be. I really, really would. But my viewpoint is that is there a band that has the pull um, that would appro even approach some of these hip hop artists because some of those guys right at the top of that field are in a different stratosphere in terms of cultural um, appropriation and stuff. Did you ever hear Corn's dubstep album? Yeah, I did. I think we reviewed it, mate. It's pretty good. When I, I liked it, I did. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it as well. And I, I enjoyed um, Bring Me Suicide Season remix, despite the fact that all their, all their hardcore fans didn't like it. Um, but it it always feels like an experiment, doesn't it? Rather than yeah, that's all. That's what I was going to say. Never really put money into it or time or tour it or anything. It just sort of slips back off. And that corn dubstep album didn't do for them what I hoped it would. 
I hoped it yeah. would be. I hoped it would be really huge for them, and potentially really bring another audience across. But it turns out that just a lot of a lot of people that like cook corn also like dubstep anyway. <laughs> so it, where, it, where it didn't bring over the people that just love dubstep and love Skrillex and Excision. It didn't bring them into corn. It just kept the corn fans that also like dubstep. And the yeah. corn fans that don't like dubstep was just like, oh, okay, cool. It's about the 2016 the next album comes out then. You know what I mean? You know, it's yeah, a bit disappointing. It didn't do what, what I hoped it would do for them. A quick mention on Marilyn Manson. From what you know about this ASAP Ferg, what could, any hope? Or is that a worry for you? Do those it's two be, styles mesh at all? Not, not in my head, no. <laughs> right, um, okay. Um, the the ASAP Ferg song that really comes to mind, I think it's called Murder Son. And it's exactly how you imagine it would go. It's like, I'm going to kill you. Like for four and a half minutes. It's, well, it's, that works it's with like, Marilyn Manson. <laughs> it does. It does. It's you know, it's it's trap house rap. Do you know what I mean? Right, and okay. uh, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. Like if you're in a certain certain mood, like it really really hits. But is Marilyn Manson that sort of artist whose style will mesh with that anymore? I mean, this isn't 1999, and no one's scared of Marilyn Manson anymore. And it seems like a really strange um, combination by a rapper that isn't massive really. And, uh, I artist that used to be, but definitely, definitely isn't that massive anymore. It just seems, I can't imagine it working personally because I think the, the style that would suit ASAP Ferg would actually be like a really heavy band adding like a nasty, a, a nasty riff over some of his more violent lyrics. I think that would really work. And, the thing is, like, none of these, none of these guys in the hip hop sort of worlds uh, now have uh, the connections. I imagine with these sort of bands, so they end up going for what they think is hard rock and heavy metal, and end up with Marilyn Manson. And what's going to happen is you're going to get like seven out of ten goth rock, while Isaac Ferg chimes in every thirty seconds. That's going to be really fucking weird. Whereas if you got, mate, if you got like a hardcore American rapper, like a proper like suspenders and fucking like guns and drugs and all the really yeah. nasty shit like and then got in with like knocked loose yeah and and played like and they, they were like just write a three minute beat down breakdown and then this guy raps over the top of it about how he's gonna stab his friend then that that could really work that could really work because that when you break down hip hop tracks and, and 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 trap tracks and all this sort of stuff, essentially it's just metal, just electronic. You know, it's just a, a loud, slow, percussive beat with a simple melody over the top, and that could be easily replicated by any band. Um, it's essentially what Limp Bizkit do. You know what I mean? So I could see that working, but these two artists um, seem a very, very odd mix. I'll be interested to hear it, but I can't imagine it'll be great to be honest. Interesting for this to follow on as well from Lil Wayne went on tour with Blink One Eight Two, didn't he? Yeah, how long did that last exactly? Didn't he just um, dip? I, like, I seem I seem to remember seeing a news article where he'd left the tour and said, "In quote, this is not my swag." Oh uh, yeah, I, I believe it was like midway through a show or yeah, right yeah. after a show or something like that. I don't know whether he came back and finished the tour. I genuinely do not know. But it's an oh, example no. of it's been attempted. Uh, obviously, in that case, didn't work to my knowledge. Not sure. <laughs> didn't think it was his swag. You know, what can you say? <laughs> what do you say to the If it's not like, like your swag, manager, you've got to go. You say to the <laughs> tour manager, I'm leaving. Why? It's not my swag. He's like, not really much I could do about that, mate. Little, little, Wayne gets out two, little Wayne gets out two photos and wants his swag and wants <laughs> a photo of the concert. And he's just slowly... See how different these two pictures are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As you can oh. see, there's so much of my swag in picture A and almost none of it in picture B. <laughs> it's just a mathematical issue. I'm sure you understand. Oh, dude. We should move on, actually, before I... We, I think we just go down a rabbit hole of just talking absolute nonsense even more so than <laughs> usual. Um, our first ever Breaking Band segment, Sam. Now, yes. this is going to replace what was our greatest, album, greatest metal album of all time discussion, which we are now doing on fortnightly episodes. So next week will be an episode dedicated to the album that comes ninth in our list, which you will reveal at the end of the show. So we've replaced that chat with the news as well as 
a breaking band segment where me and Sam pick a band that have got a record coming out in the near future that we've never listened to the band before. The first ever breaking band that we picked was Orbit Culture with their new record called Niger out on the 7th of August via Seaconstruct Records. Four-piece Swedish metal band from Exio, I think, Exio in Sweden. Seaconstruct Records, interesting to point out. Also home to the likes of Upon a Burning Body and Speaking with Ghosts. So quite an eclectic mix for Orbit Culture to be sitting in the middle of here. Uh, believes the third full-length studio record following the 2016 record of Razen. Uh, Sam, I'd say for fans of Trivium, Gajira, and even a bit of Parkway Drive in there occasionally for me. I would also add um, Opeth and Amonomarth and a bit of Shadow of Intent. Right, okay. Um, Opeth and Amonomarth simply because of the Scandinavian thing? Or do you no, no, musical? no, no, because it, you know, I genuinely think musically. I'll get to that, obviously, later. I think it's nice, Sam, for me and you. Usually we're reviewing bands of the subgenre. And I've enjoyed listening uh, to a record that is much more direct and straight, like a metal release, like the likes of Trivium. Yes. Um, first off... Uh, about this this record from Morbid Culture. Uh, shout out to Nicholas Carson, by the way, who is the guitarist and also does both heavy and melodic vocals. No so, way, that's the same guy. Yeah, it's, it's the same guy. You wouldn't think, but uh, upon no. research, like it's the same guy. Who so fucking Nicholas Carson? Man, he is <laughs> he's juggling some balls. Uh, fucking yes, he is. Bit, yeah, uh, Sam, I really like this. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Actually, it, um, it got it got every every song as it went on. I was I, I found myself finding myself more impressed because there seemed to be a different element that were adding to their repertoire as it went along. Because um, at the start, it was like it was just it was heavy. It was like black metal overtones, like a power metal esque stuff with the chorus. And I was like, okay, you can start to sort of figure out like a blueprint of how they're writing their songs. And when they moved on to like North Star of Niche, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, power, it was like a powerful chugging, stomping tune. I was like, all right, this has got some uh, some death metal sort of overtones to it here. So they're um, branching out a little bit. And then they started getting to this extra like level of melody and introspectiveness that really sort of caught me off guard. So by the time I got to like, I think it's Day of the Cloud. And um, the, there's like some melodic bridge section in it that leads to this like massively like head banging stuff as well. I was really impressed. And then listening to like uh, Behold off this, which I thought was the highlight, um, I was like won over by that point because I, I was just so impressed by the variety of stuff that this band were able to pull off. I think this is a really impressive album. I. When I was listening to this, I thought this is a bit of Sam. This is, I thought this is this, this <laughs> Swedish is, Swedish death metal. Yeah, I was like, this is fucking perfect for Sam. I, I I knew I had no doubt in my mind that you'd really really enjoy this, and I really liked it as well. Uh, man, comes ferociously bursting out the gates that drum fill from uh, Christopher Wallerstead, uh, the drummer. Mate, the yeah. opening of at the front. <laughs> And the fucking, yeah. I mean, I mean, like literally like snap of the finger, mate, I am fucking straight in. I feel that occasionally uh, Nicholas's melodic vocals don't reach the heights that are required yeah. of them to take certain choruses to the next level. But I, I do think, I do think uh, North Star of Niche, I think nails perfectly how to use him. Um, he's a little bit quieter in the mix underneath the guitars. Not so much that he's completely drowned out, but it, just enough so that you can you can hear that there is a twist on the chorus mm-hmm. and there's a there's like a fucking chaotic crescendo at the end of that song which i absolutely love and for me i think the real greatness of this record is in the guitar work man there's loads of great guitar work on this that, I've, I've got literally a whole note here but you, you mentioned it as as you were talking mate the bridge on day of the cloud is fucking great. So brilliantly yeah. written. Gorgeous. There's also there's also a gorgeous solo on Behold as well. Yes, yeah, the, I completely the, agree. The guitar work on this record is really at times like truly exquisite. And I think that 
if you catch right at the end of Behold and the very start of Open Eye and blend those two together, that showcases the best of this record. These really dark, mm-hmm. heaving vocals from Carson, whose um, scream vocals I fucking love, by the way. And he's over the top of this really thick, rich metal pace. Quality level of brutality, but it's got like a real beautiful groove to it as well. And I think that when they when they accentuate this kind of like groove metal masquerading as death metal, works really, really well. Do, do you think though that they could have they could benefit somewhere down the line from a dedicated melodic vocalist? I do, I do, yeah, because I think there are there are points where this works really, really well, and there are some parts where like you mentioned a little bit earlier where it feels like he's really stretching um the the level of his um his vocal ability and some of his pronunciation um like at the start when he was like die yeah 100 percent. it was like some king diamond stuff like and and that and that was it was like a novelty the first couple of times but then later on the chorus he started to feel very similar as well because if he's the guitarist and both vocalists, I assume he's got a large hand in the writing process, which would kind of in, 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 in imply that his writing chorus is for his voice, obviously, which means that it limits them to the sort of stuff that they can do, which is a shame because musically, they're able to seemingly transition from style to style here. Like, like every, pretty much every major variation of metal from death metal to groove metal to uh, black metal to power metal is, is represented here at various points. Like you mentioned open eye, like you've got this m- like sort of mid tempo, um, like brutality um, at the start with black metal stones of open eye and the same with mirror slave. But then there's that like sledgehammer, like beat down riff at the end of like Nensha as well, where it's just like, what the fuck is going on here? And then you've got like shadowing where it's like metal core riffing in the choruses and stuff. And like a genuinely big chorus that, that with a better vocalist that was more serious, that riffs wouldn't sound out of place on that misery signals record that we looked at. Um, there's just so much going on here. And I, I feel that they're like many metal bands, um, sadly, many musicians and many artists, you are kind of limited to what your vocalist can do. Um, that uh, the band provides the floor and the vocalist provides the ceiling. And while the music here is, is at times really transcendent and, and really, really well put together, I agree with you that the vocalist could could use a little bit of help because his melodic vocals would really suit if they wrote more melodic stuff as like a group vocal or an additional clean vocal yeah. or something they could have flitting in and out of certain songs to give it an extra level. But when it's the sole focus of songs, I do think it, 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 it's, it's not well represented there. And also limits them in terms of the type of song they can write, which means as this album went down, there was a period in the second third of it before the shadowing. Uh, those couple of songs that were bunched together did feel a bit repetitive because of that, because it felt like they'd written the riffs and it's like, oh, we've got to get a chorus in. And they just sort of shoved in ones that had sounded similar to the ones that had happened previously. But I will say that I think Behold is the peak of this album in terms of the songwriting and the overall size. And at that point, I was like, this is a really special group of people being able to put this music together and play in this sort of way. And that's what linked me to Opeth. And that's what linked me a little bit to Amon Amarth because there's the, not the actual, not the Scandinavian element at all, um, but their ability to, to write these lovely, complex transitions and mix it with that underlay of really fast-paced, clicky bass drum. So, like, you know, when you listen to them on a Marth and they've got all these really technical metalcore riffs, but underneath is that pounding, like, yeah, backbeat, just yeah, constantly. Actually, actually, yeah, and, I see what you're saying, yeah. And, and, and Opeth is a bit like that, where it's the, the actual bass section of the band, the bass and drum section, and doing that pounding consistency. But over the top of it, there's this juxtaposition of, like, melody and dissonance and stuff and that blend there is is what what this band are really really good at and man if we're we're comparing this band to opeth and Monomarth, we're talking about one of the more successful metal bands in the last decade and one of the greatest black metal bands ever in opeth so that is not not like not like compliments at all um i do think they are somewhat limited but it's also fair to say chris to be fair that 
in this style of metal, if you were going to get away with mediocre vocals at any point, it would be in this type of music where yeah. the focus predominantly is on the riff and on the on on the, and on that as the central figure. Yeah. I mean, if you're a fan of Orbit culture, you're not necessarily going to hear pop stylings, pop choruses, sing along stuff. Although that would probably increase their size. You are going for the breakdowns and the head banging and the guitar solos of which these guys have that in spades. So I agree with you that, that would take the band further, but maybe considering their style and, and the way they write songs anyway, it's not necessarily a focus of theirs moving forward. Well, I, I think they've got the makings for what could be a really fucking great metal band. I agree. I think that, yes, if they added the melodic vocalist, it could take them another arm. But even if they don't, even if they they retain this lineup for as long as their career lasts, I think they could still get like a really, really solid fan base because for me, if you like Trivium, you will like this band. I, yeah. I, I can't see a world where a Trivium fan listens to Orbit Culture. It's like, no, no, not for me. Because in some cases, they're even heavier. And in a lot yes. of the ca- in, and in a lot of the cases, they're like a relatively even match, not quite as complex in some in some elements of the songwriting, but in a lot you can draw some real straight lines. And I really enjoyed this. I thought this was a really really solid heavy metal album. And like I say, we we focus on reviewing so much of the subgenre that it was kind of refreshing to listen to a record that was much more all-encompassing. Do you know what I mean? This is a straight-up straight metal record. This is something that I think, and I don't mean to stereotype here, but, you know, your patch jacket wearers at Bloodstock, fucking hell, they'd be all over this. Do you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. 100%. There's, um, there's definitely a few people I can imagine in our acquaintance group that would thoroughly enjoy a band like this. Yeah. Really, really tight, man. Uh, so that was uh, Orbit Culture, our first ever breaking brand uh, with Nija, out on the 7th of August for your second strike. Really, really enjoyed that record. I think they're going to p- go on and potentially do some really great things, man. Going to move on, Sam, to album reviews. Dude, we're going to start off with Year of the Knife, Internal Incarceration, out on the 7th of August uh, via Pure Noise Records. This is their debut album. Sam, it's 13 songs and 31 minutes. This is a fucking bit of me, this is. Yeah, just as the last one was a bit of me, this is this is absolutely right in your alley. I think I was two songs in and already visualizing your face. Oh my god, mate, this is a bit of fucking me. I love this album. Oh mate, I I think this is fucking so so great. I, I adore aggro, violent sounding fucking hardcore. And this album has got that in an absolute abundance, man. Um, <laughs> I just, mate, I, I love really horrible, fucking grinding, nihilistic, horrible bastard hardcore idea. And the, mm-hmm. this album is absolutely that, man. Uh, produced by Kurt Ballou, uh, and he's worked with Cold Orange and Converge. Obviously, you listen to this record and you can really feel that hardened vulnerability and metallic sound just fucking burning through it. That picture paints beautifully when you think of uh, Kurt and this band in the room um, interesting how the previous record absolutely a bit of you and for this it's absolutely a bit of me where are you with this because obviously I'm listening I'm thinking this is absolutely for me I thought this might be a little too far over the edge for Sam it's not too heavy for me or anything like that I did really really enjoy it um, it's just I have the same criticism um quite often with bands like with 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 bands like this is by by track six or seven i'm hoping for variation and um there's i know already going in (laughs) uh that i'm not going to get that from like second or third tuning because because hardcore albums are exactly that you know it and 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 you you couldn't listen to like the sex pistols and and hope they were going to play jazz music it's the same thing here you know what you're going to go in i think at its peak though this is a superbly violent and fun album. Um, I think at its absolute best, it reminds me of early loathe, early hate breed and some knock loose, which is like pretty much the Holy Trinity of past, present and modern hardcore at the moment. Um, I think the highlight for me is manipulation artist. Um, 
early on in that album because that that was like oh these 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 could tour with not loose and people's teeth would be removed and also there were some moments here where they shifted tempo um some of the variations here between the hardcore and some thrash type type beat down drum beats were really really satisfying and as well I actually enjoyed the the guitar sound is it because it was quite muffled do you know what I mean like it yeah. wasn't it wasn't like overproduced to the point where you can hear every note when you listen to like like that orbit culture it's so well produced it's 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 so clear and clandescent and this is the reverse of that which which actually was nice because it was reminding me of some classic bands early albums like there were there were some points when they were doing some of the the thrashier stuff and I was like you could close you could close my eyes and convince me this was early Sepultura at times yeah. because of the thrash stuff and some of the there's like some Slipknot esque um, riffing. Um, there is also some really, and this is the best thing about hardcore. I think breakdowns you could groove to. Oh like, man, legitimately yeah. move your arms and legs too, man. Like there is some dancey as fuck breakdowns. There is, mate. There really on is on this album, uh, and it, it like like legitimately you could like you could two step to some of these quite easily. Yeah, man. And um, that is that is the joy that hardcore brings because it is a style of music that is entirely designed about the live performance and entirely designed about getting a crowd moving and releasing that aggression. And it's not fair for me to sit there and expect anything else when by definition of its style and genre and audience, it doesn't need to do anything else. So while it is not the style of this in general is not always my cup of tea all of the time. I think this is brilliantly catered to what this band are, who this band are catering to and what this band hope to be. Um, because if you took me to a show and these guys were opening for malevolence, I'd be fucking buzzing. And so would the crowd after like 15 seconds, it would be yeah. immediately apparent, immediately apparent. So these are another great hardcore band on the plethora of hardcore bands. Can I ask you a question? Because you're much more glued into this uh, genre than I am. Yeah. Do you worry that there's that there may be an oversaturation of this type of music within that scene moving forward? Because there's a lot of bands that sound like this. There's not a lot of bands that are poking their head above the parapet. Do you think the actual amount of bands that sound this way could actually damage the, the genre overall? I mean, any... Any other saturation isn't is isn't good news for a genre a lot of the time, but on the other hand, it then potentially opens other doors because because there's more of a groundswell. There's more options there. For example, the you know the next Misery Signals tour in the UK could absolutely feature Year of the Knife and Chamber on it. Mm-hmm. where five years ago, Year of the Knife and Chamber weren't available to make that selection. But for me, I think Year of the Knife and Chamber would be absolute shoo-ins for a, for a tour with Misery Signals. I think even though not obviously not exactly the same, I think those th- th- that list of bands would really mesh quite well together over the space of two and a half hours. I think that. Do you agree with the? Did you agree with the assertion that there's a there's an oversaturation at all then, or do you think that it's a, a sign a, a, a genre's growing and reaching out and that sort of thing? Do you take it as a positive? I'm in the area of growth at the moment for okay. hardcore, as opposed to oversaturation. And the truth is, regardless of amount of saturation or amount of bands that are coming through at the same time, the cream always rises to the crop, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. You know. The, the, be- the best bands will survive whether they are the first ever to do a certain style of music or the 1500th in that year. At the end of the day, Not Loose would be fucking huge regardless of what setting you drop on me because it's fucking Not Loose and they're really brilliant and A Different Shade yeah. of Blue was a really fucking brilliant, great, in my opinion, out of this world hardcore record. And th- this is a slightly different tact for the not loose, although there are obviously a certain straight lines you could draw between the two. This goes to a slightly different tact of hardcore. For me, this is much more reminiscent of Splinters from an Ever Changing Face by End. 
but I actually prefer this to that record and I fucking really like that album. <laughs> Splinters from an Ever Changing Fires Blend is really, really good and I think this album's better. And I say that because I think there are parts of this album that are just better, better written. And me saying that is fucking end has got Will Putney and fucking Brendan Murphy in it. And I, and I think there's elements of this album that are just better written. Small little nuances of changes that you have to kind of listen out for. But would you pick up on them? Fucking so great. So, so fucking rewarding. Um, on Stay Away, vocalist Tyler Mullen screaming, stay the fuck away from me. Just one like long, elongated scream. Quick drum fill. Bang, into a breakdown riff. Oh, mate, it's the sickest thing. It's such a fucking brilliant <laughs> 15 seconds. And I love that shit. I love that when there's a quick tempo change, slow, sluggish breakdown out of nowhere. Fucking amazing. And there's one right in the middle section of Final Tears as well. Uh, Mullen's screaming over the top of it, but it's so fucking brutally tempoed. Drops in so hard. Um, of course, you can hear parts of Jesus' piece here. Not loose. There's a bit of leached as well. But as you mentioned, and really, I'm, I'm just emphasising a lot of the points that you made. You, you, you've made a lot of the points I've got written down here. There's such a sick element of groove on this album that I think differentiates it, really. There are elements of groove in Last Not Loose album, that Leech album that came out this year. But I think there's a much more emphasis on it here than any of those records, and, and specifically Splinters from an Ever-Changing Face. Uh, Through the Eyes is a good example of that. In the midst of this fucking absolute chaotic musical warfare, there's these bass lines and riffs that are straight up metal and add these like inflections of groove that you find yourself headbanging in, see, in time sequence with the riff more than anything else. <laughs> whereas, yeah, whereas usually you just, whereas usually you just fucking smacking your head forward because it's just so heavy. But you find yourself like timing it within the fucking drops of the riff, and that's fucking sick, man. And how, mate, how about that start of eviction? When um, Mullen screams, don't try to suppress my anger. That fucking thrash riff kicks in. Fuck. Yeah, it's naughty, man. I mean, mate, this is just so me. <laughs> this album is just yeah. so fucking catered for me. I love it, man. So great. Um, it's a very, very cold orange riff that runs, that ring, runs through uh, Eviction as well. Of course, got my name all over it. And, you know, like a, a lot of other hardcore albums, as we were just kind of mentioning, this is aiming at a niche market here. Let's let's not get away from that fact. But it's so ferocious and angry in its delivery that it fucking nails its demographic, such as myself. It's yeah. it, it, it so brilliantly nails its demographic that I feel like every hardcore fan, and, and you said this before, we walked out of Not Loose Malevolence, and you said, it kind of feels like hardcore now is like the punk of the 70s where there's this like underground surge of hardcore where the fans have yeah. got their ears really close to the ground and they know every, every up-and-coming band and they discover every up-and-coming band because they're constantly looking for the next band to break through. So I think there's, that it nails this demographic so well that I will tell every hardcore fan that I know. There's this band called Year of the Knife internal incarceration and i feel like most of them will probably come back and say oh yeah yeah no i, I, I knew about that record i can't wait for it uh, we've got a, a mutual friend andrew kelsell mate you'll fucking love this he will oh love yeah this, this is, album. This is all, he's gonna eat this for dinner man he's gonna yeah. love this so much i'm gonna tell him about this album coming out on august 7th he's gonna listen to this he's gonna text me on the day and be like this is fucking wicked i love this so much because he loves end as well just like i do and like I said, this very much draws parallels to them, but I think it's I think it surpasses it. Uh, I can see these blowing up in the scene. I can see them being put on tour with the likes of Code Orange. I could see them with Misery Signals or even the Counterparts tour as well, because Counterparts do like to have quite a diverse lineup. Like I, I discovered Chamber uh, through the last Counterparts tour, and fucking um, Can't Swim were on that tour as well, who were like part indie, part hardcore band. But going back to this man. There was never any doubt in your mind. I can't imagine whether I was going to love this. This is fucking so spot on for me. Yeah, within the first seven seconds, it was immediately. <laughs> I, easily identifiable, 100%. Internal incarceration by Year of the Knife out on August 7th. If you're a fucking hardcore fan, oh my God, man, you have to hear this album. It's so fucking brilliant. 
I'm almost sad to be moving on to the next subject, even though I'm a fan of this as well. Uh, last record review of the episode, Sam. Black Crown initiates violent portraits of Doomed Escape out on August 7th as well versus, uh, via Century Media Records. You see now why I chose to do Misery Signals two weeks ago. Because <laughs> we had Indeed. Black Crown initiates and Year of the Knife and Misery Signals coming out on August 7th. I believe as well, the In Hearts Wake record comes out on August 7th, so I'm waiting for that drop as well. Fucking crazy, August 7th. Anyway, uh, Black Crown Initiate, third record, produced by uh, Carson Slovak and Grant McFarland, who have worked on Rivers of Nile and Lorna Shore as well, which uh, I think uh, ties in quite nicely, actually, to a lot of the record. Uh, Sam, if I said to you, I think this is one of the most performance-sounding records that we've reviewed this year, what do you think? When you say that, what do you mean? It's an uh, interesting in, phrase. In the way that its instrumentation soundscapes are the centerpiece of the record. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's a very fair statement. Um, and in a slightly different way, I think it is also very clear that the um, the vocal melodies are not the focuses of this album. It's definitely you're definitely supposed to listen to this as a musical journey made by instruments, hundred percent. For a record that, you know, I suppose is unquestionably death metal, I feel like there's a there's a, a, a still a real level of diversity at play here. Yeah, I would agree. I think I think there are parts of here that are very melodic. Um, there's a there's an, a use of there's a, a plethora of uses of acoustic guitar that I didn't expect. There's some periphery style um, lead passages at outsets of songs, and at melodic sections of this that stand out when combined with the rest of the the sort of chugging that you would expect with a death metal album such as this. So yeah, in terms of the musicianship, the variation is 100% there. I think the one, two of Son of War. Now there's two, there's two tracks in this album called Son of War. So I'm referring to Son of War as in my child's son. Yes. Yes. So, son of War into trauma bonds. They're structured so differently. I think there's a chance you could convince me they're two different bands if you if you close my eyes and try. I think there's a chance you could you could get me to think so. Um, you made you discussed the vocal elements on this record, and the way you structured it seemed like somewhat of a disparaging remark to me. Was that your way of saying you're not a fan of the record vocally? Yes, that is correct. Right. Okay. I really like the chorus on Trauma Bonds, man. I thought that was wicked. See, that didn't work for me, personally. I, 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 I like the, I I some of the riff work of the album. I, I liked a lot of the musical elements here. Um, but I, I, really, I really wasn't grabbed by the melodic sections or the choruses at all. Um, I didn't feel compelled by any of the choruses. And, and I, felt, I felt that at times they were melodic for almost just simply to juxtapose the heavy stuff rather than being a interwoven part of the song. I felt as well that some of the songs were written in a way where the, the transitions were so deliberately um, jewel, jilting for the, for the listener. It almost felt that they, they were all written just primarily for the shock value uh, where they're just, there, there are songs in here where they just flick um, from very heavy and complex to very simple and slow and melodic and they just rotate between them um, quickly. And after a while, that, that doesn't sit as well with me as a listener. I think that there are some really, really beautiful moments of musicianship here. And I think these guys are clearly a very, very talented group. But I didn't think the actual result of the choruses, the melodies and the songs really hit me in the way that I'd have liked them to for this to be considered successful. So there are some, there are some drawbacks for me. I think... Like, like Hot Silence is the example of what I'm talking about. It was like deliberately jarring, um, but I didn't actually enjoy the, the transitions as, as much. Um, it felt like too much flickering between styles without particularly mastering either one. And I didn't enjoy that as much. Now, again, this is a very talented group and, and a very impressive album. But um, I think the songs overall, in terms of their, their message and main melody, need a little bit of work. Um, if they're going to transcend in any in any sort of way or push this forward, I think this is it's a talented bunch, but the the actual songs themselves at their heart didn't do a great deal for me as a listener. 
I am surprised to, to be honest, dude. I think I even messaged you. Was like, I think you're going to really like the Black Crown Issue album because it, you know, it's a prog death metal album. There's these elements of real strong, admittedly obtuse, but real strong elements of instrumentation. I, I, I thought you'd be all about this. Um, James Dawson is the name of the vocalist, and he does both vocal lines, to my understanding. Um, and I actually, I actually like his range. I thought some of the choruses on this, I thought were really good. Trauma Bonds uh, being one of them. Um, because I, 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 even I found this interesting as someone who's never really picked up an instrument. Do you feel the instrumentation in terms of the technicalities here are specifically worth shouting out the same way you would, sh- not to the same level, but the same way you would be looking out for and finding interest in a tool record. Um, I understand what you mean. Uh, I think it, in the same way that tool write their songs for a certain type of listener, I do think that this band has done the same. Um, obviously, I don't feel the level of sort of connection or complexity has, has, has been has been sort of explored here. But I, I could understand that they've absolutely gone for a wide-reaching, um, deliberately atmospheric style. But there are just some parts of this that miss for me as a listener. They just are. Um, I, I thought, like, Son of War, the second one, where it's like the sun in the sky, um, I thought it was heavy and staccato and really interesting, but I didn't feel that it, it went enough places for me. Like I said about Hot Science, I thought it was deliberately jarring. I thought Here's the Path had a great introduction, but I lost it a lot, a lot a little bit of the thread. Afterwards, I, th- I just thought that this band had so much talent and they're on the cusp of writing something that's really good, but it just doesn't quite connect the dots together enough for me. Um, I also thought... I also thought the introduction of that song below, where he just growls. Yeah, I, did, I wasn't into that one. That was weird. Uh, I, 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 I thought that was... That was even if I was trying to understand it's some sort of prog element, but it didn't even really correlate to the next song. Uh, and I, I just thought, well, why is that there at all? So I thought there was some part, just for me as a listener, man, like I can appreciate their talent, just I can appreciate what they're trying to do. It just didn't land for me personally. I, it, it, it's, it's clear that they're talented in some of these songs are really, really complex and interesting. I just felt that that in themselves, complex, interesting and decent musicianship is not a perfect replacement for as powerful as the songs could have been um i think that they that area definitely needs a little bit of development development for me to be won over moving forward i i I actually really enjoyed this album i think the the technical tight elements this record in terms of guitarist uh, ethan mckenna and andy thomas I thought were like really, really good. Like the end of Holy Silence for me is like the best moment on the whole album. And you, you draw lines between this and Rivers of Nile uh, with their last record, Where Else Now My Where Else Now My Name. But I, I actually kind of find this more impressive in a way because obviously Rivers of Nile use like that saxophonist, and so they've yeah. always got they've always got that they can fall back on to like throw throw a wrench in when you know you're not expecting it. Whereas obviously yeah, Black Rain Initiates haven't got that, but they don't, they can't use that effect on their songwriting. But I think that that doesn't actually affect them that much. I, I still feel like they can really build these really interesting <laughs> soundscapes. Um, it turns out, it turns out the absence of a saxophonist doesn't affect metal um, <laughs> in a great deal. Reveal of the show. The, <laughs> closing segment of Years in Frigid Light is brilliant. Uh, it's a like kind of instrumental minefield that's pieced together really interestingly. Um, the drumming from this, this is the thing. I believe it's like a session drummer called Gabe Sieber that's on this record, but there's no drummer mentioned in the band list. So I believe it's Gabe Sieber that's drumming, but I can't actually tell you for certain because he's not credited on the record that we were sent. Anyway, whoever is, whoever is drumming, uh, I feel ties this album together. Fucking phenomenally. Uh, anything from oh, you, yeah. drumming? Yeah. At times, you could convince me that it's General Grievous um, <laughs> at the back there. Yeah. Um, and without a name, I mean, I, we can't rule it out yet, so that's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, um, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. Um, but I, no, I, I, I would reiterate the same thing about the drumming as I would extend to the to the whole band. Um, brilliant collection of musicians. Um, the 
the opening the opening song with the acoustic guitar is wonderful. The collection of like sort of harmonics and chord sequences that they're using in that is is beautiful. Um, really, really impressive. And the drumming is the same. It, it combines some really chugging, powerful, tight as fuck transition stuff with a real element of slow grace notes and letting the song breathe and that sort of stuff. As that's what I'm saying. Like as a collection of musicians, this is absolutely wonderful. Um, it just the actual the final the final product just doesn't hasn't doesn't do anything for me in terms of the melody and the song structures themselves. Um, but this is a very, very, very impressive group of musicians and I leave you with no doubt about that pretty much from the immediate outset. For me, this is part dark rock, part heavy metal, part death metal, part prog. And I think it gets, for me personally, all those elements right. Uh, it's a lot to take in and it asks a lot of the person listening to it, but that's fitting of the audience they have. They're a prog death metal band. I don't think anyone's going into this expecting it to be this kind of slap across the, slap across the face record of the style of Year of the no. Knife. They're, they're no. now going into this is going to be an expansive journey and a, like a performance of instrumentation. Um, so so I, 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 I actually really, really enjoy this uh, and more than I expected to. And I've got to say, I am surprised that you didn't get as much out of this. I, I thought this would be entirely, entirely for you, man. You throw a, throw a wrench in the works every now and again, don't you, Sam? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't dis, I didn't dislike it. I just felt that it just, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't find a connection to to some of the choruses. I, it just, I felt that the musicianship was fantastic. I felt that there's clearly talented guys here. I just, I can't, I can't explain it more than the intangible quality of. The, yeah. the, I didn't enjoy the overall product. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like the way some of the way that some of the songs were structured. I didn't like the chord patterns of some of the riffs. Um, it felt. A little bit tedious at times just the way that the songs were structured but i can understand that for the audience and who it's aimed for that would usually include me i admit um this is perfectly catered it just didn't didn't have an intangible spark that would usually draw me in that brings to an end this episode of the noise podcast we are going to be back next week though we're going to be continuing our list of the greatest metal albums of all time sam what is coming in at number nine <laughs> it is Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Fucking brilliant. And the reason why we had a little giggle at the start of the episode is that turned... That had 36. 36 today? Was yeah, it? Or today. yesterday? Yeah, today. No, today. 36 years old today. So next week, it's going to be 36 years and a week old. What a fucking coincidence for us to be doing fucking ACDC on its 40th anniversary. And Ride the Light Night's 36th anniversary. So check back in next week with us for a full expansion and look into the brilliance of Metallica's sophomore record, Ride the Lightning. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Remember to check out Stereo Brain Records and to recommend us to a friend. Give us a like on YouTube and a subscription as well if you can. We love you very much. We'll see you next week. Bye.